0: Greetings, Voyagers, welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 144. The date of recording this intro here is Wednesday, February 12th, 2020. And we are two days before Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day to all the lovers out there. And I'm very, very sorry that there's been a bit of a hiatus here. It's like two and a half weeks, three weeks maybe since I've put out an episode. So sorry everybody, but we are back and we're rolling. And it starts with this one. My guest for today is Tony Warner. Toni is a yogi. She is a yoga instructor and probably one of the most enlightened and informed people that I've ever met. Toni was an instructor for my partner who just finished up her yoga training, her teacher training program. And I was fortunate enough to take one of her classes a couple weeks ago. I took a nighttime restorative candlelit class. It was really cool and it was really beautiful and it set me up in like the right mindset mentality for the week. So I wanted to sit down with her and I wanted to learn about all things yoga, the history, the philosophy, the physical practice, uh, all sorts of things that I had no idea about like the doshas and the mudras and the meridian lines within your body. She's so knowledgeable. Uh, This was really, really cool conversation. So thank you to Tony and I hope all of you out there enjoyed this one. Please remember that if you would like to support this podcast, you can do so on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vedder. And that's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly to keep these episodes coming. And there's cool kickbacks depending on the tier that you're in, like stickers or postcards from around the world or podcast shirts and cool stuff like that. So make sure you check that out. You can go to the show notes for that and you can go to the show notes for tony's social media accounts and some links to some of the studios that she works at if you're ever here in new york and you want to take a class all right cool enjoy this one folks here's tony So, first of all, Tony, thank you. Uh, This is really exciting to have you. I'm excited
1: to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I uh, am a total novice when it comes to yoga. Uh, Really, I started on like my own little journey as Mm -hmm. a way to support my partner, who you know, and I've started to really enjoy it. Okay. So some of this might, for for any yogis listening, might seem kind of basic, but... Bear with
1: me.
0: I am ready. Well, you know what's cool? Like, um, <laughs> I've wanted someone for a while to be able to talk about like holistic medicine and natural healing and things mm-hmm. like that. And I haven't found the right person. And then one day, Les comes home and she's like, oh, we had this amazing workshop today in yoga training. And like the next day, she's buying sesame oil, <laughs> which like, <laughs> I'm quite familiar with from like Asian cooking, yeah, and she's rubbing it on her skin. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, this is amazing. Uh, so that, I was like, wow, whoever told you that, I want to talk to them, potentially for the podcast. But then I took your class, and I was like, whoa, like the philosophical aspect of this is something I would really love to explore. Uh, so again, really happy to have you.
1: I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about all the things that fuel me. And cool. And so, philosophy and Ayurveda.
0: Cool. I will try to, to, to hone in all my excitement and like keep this kind of focused. Okay. Um, so like where, or at what point in your life did like your yoga journey start Mm -hmm. and why did you start? Was it exercise? Was it strictly the physical practice?
1: It was strictly physical. So when I, when I started yoga, I was actually, this was maybe about 15 years ago. Whoa. Um, and I was doing a lot of Pilates. Okay. I was doing so much Pilates, um, and I was, you know, I had a desk job, and I was working way more than forty hours a week, and you know, stuff was living in my body, particularly across my upper body, through my shoulders, my. You mean like my tension? Laps, like tension, yeah. And I pulled a rib out of my back. That was a whole thing. And went to the doctor, went to physical therapy, had it rolled back in. And um, my physical therapist was basically like, you're doing way too much (laughs) Pilates if there is such a thing. Um, I mean, I was doing it a lot. I was doing it almost every day. And because I was doing it every day throughout the week in a short amount of time, I was doing a lot of advanced work. And I probably rushed into it in a way that I should not have rushed into it. Coincidentally, I was doing all this while working at a gym at like this luxury sports complex in the city. Um, and one of my coworkers was doing her teacher training and she invited me and another coworker to this place called Sonic Yoga in New York city. And eventually she did her teacher training. and She started teaching classes at where we work mm. Um and I would take her class and I just stayed with it. And I journeyed around to the physical. Like I I tried gentle yoga. When I started um, taking classes with her, I started on the more advanced side because I wanted to just be with her. Okay. Um, so I never really took beginner's yoga. Um, and then, you know, I just listened to my body. So I did a little gentle yoga. I ventured into the hot power. And... Um, The more emotional and philosophical mental side of it for me came when I discovered Kundalini. Are you familiar with Kundalini? Uh,
0: Like, (laughs) I have very ancillary knowledge of it. I just know that some people I've heard reach like sort of a real meditative conscious, almost like high-like state.
1: So we'll talk about that. So there's like a whole practice. Um, A lot of, depending on the, the lineage, the reason you're doing physical yoga... Um, it's believed that you have this essence inside of you called kundalini and it sits in your pelvic bowl. All of us have it. We get it when we're born. And you do asana and meditation and mudras and breathing and panchakarma, i.e. the Ayurveda rubbing sesame oil on your body, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that this kundalini can spool and wake up. And as it spools, it moves up your spine, your central channel, and it passes through each of your chakras and it carries that energy upward and it beams out. And that's the idea that that's your bliss. That's when you've become enlightened. Is that like, you're, like an aura or? Um, it's a state, okay. but it's not the kind of thing that you can enter. Oh, I'm going to go do class and then we'll sit in enlightenment. It's like a lifelong and lifetimes over kind of journey for many of us. Whoa. And so um, I started doing Kundalini and then I, I, you know, played with it. I was like, No, oh, I want to teach yoga. I want to teach yoga. But no, I was too afraid. It was never the right time. I didn't have the money. Yoga teacher training is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> rightfully so. I mean, it's, you're, you're learning all the layers of the body. And it's a lifelong certification. Yeah. 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 And so, um, one day, this is now a decade later, I'm working at another place, um, still holding tension in my body. And I decided to just really make sure that I had something for myself outside of work. Mm. And so I did teacher training and sounds like a familiar story. Yeah. Yeah. And in that teacher training, I remember um, we had this one. There there were many teachers, not many, five teachers leading the teacher training. In some places it's five, in some places it's one, some places it's two. Ours had five. And I remember um, I was with, um, we had our teacher training with this woman, Johanna, Johanna Bell. And she's like this orb of shamanic <laughs> yoga. Like she's just this wonderful being. And just a clear, she's wonderful. And I remember looking at her and saying, I don't want to teach yoga. I want to teach people how to teach yoga. Whoa. And then someone pulled me up to teach a sun salutation and teacher training went on. And the more I learned, and the more I learned, I realized the more I don't know. And then I was like, I can't teach yoga. I can't do this. This is not for me. No one wants to hear what I have to say. And, um... Yeah, so I got my teacher training, and then a couple years later, maybe, if that, um, I went to work, and I was laid off with two days' notice. Wow. And, um, and so I spent a time um, unemployed, and in the back of my head, that dream of teaching yoga and owning a studio one day was still there. But in my mind, I was in, I have to pay my bills. Right. And so, you know, I'm doing the unemployment thing. I'm interviewing and nothing's really, nothing is really calling me. I'm not really connecting with future employers. They're not connecting with me. I looked in all the industries I could possibly imagine myself being in. And then I saw an audition for Core Power. (laughs) And I applied. And then I sat there and I said, you know what? If I'm going to be here in New York City trying to do something, it might as well be the thing I love. And let me really Mm. give it a try. And the past is in the past now. And I remember sitting down and I Googled. I said, I know I'm not going to be making a lot of money teaching yoga. What will be meaningful meaningful for me and I remember googling every single studio that I that lit that I would be okay commuting to and I said I'm not going more than 30 minutes to a studio and I looked at their mission statement the teachers the way they presented themselves and if it was if it was in line with who I was and who I wanted to be as a teacher I just reached out and I sent out all of these emails, all of these like little resumes that I made up. I didn't didn't lie, but I wasn't teaching. So I had limited experience on my resume. And um, in addition to Core Power, there was this studio called Jewel City Yoga. And I got my first class in July of 2017. Really? Yeah. And that grew into... Now I teach full time studios that told me no in 2017 are now asking me to teach permanently on their schedule and I don't have the time. That's awesome. Though. And yeah, I mean, I've, since then I've grown to be full time and I've taught so much that I'm qualified to lead and co-lead teacher trainings. And so that's an avenue that I'm exploring. So I I co-lead a teacher training with Jewel City. I lecture at um, Core Power. And um, yeah, here we
0: are. All right. I'm (laughs) sitting here with these notes and you hit so much of it that I want to expand upon. So I want to unpack a lot of what you said. I was just thinking because you were talking about how uh, you popped out your rib. Yes. And before we started recording, I was like rushing around. I'm like, I just got back from the gym. And you were like, "Were you doing CrossFit? Um, did you ask that because of like how tense and bottled up that makes some people and sort of? Oh,
1: no. no? Okay. I just, um, I don't know. I just figured everyone's doing CrossFit. So actually, I love CrossFit. I, oh, okay, I okay. Um, the the place I was at, the unfortunately, where the working relationship didn't work out. Was a CrossFit. Um, part of the company was a CrossFit box. And um, I i mean, I've always been in fitness. Mm. Um, well, not always. Yeah, I've been in fitness for pretty much most of my working adult career. I did a little stint in architecture, but that was on the operations side. Um, but yeah, no, I love CrossFit. Okay. I love it. I actually still do it. Well, the reason I ask is because I've seen a lot of stuff where... Um,
0: people who lift really heavy and put on a lot of mass over Mm -hmm. time have spinal injuries or like neck compression and things like that, you know, football players, wrestlers, fighters and things like that. And a lot of those people after those careers have ended, like are turning to yoga. And even like there's a really famous, uh, wrestler. I watched wrestling when I was like very young, but me uh, too. Diamond Dallas page, right. Has like DDP yoga now and is, uh, like really transforming a lot of those guys' lives who are older and like Know bent over and thinking that they're going to have like a really tough second half of their life, mm-hmm. and they're correcting a lot of these things with a yoga practice. Yeah. So that's what that's what that was making me think of.
1: Yeah. No, I think um, you know if you are or anyone is interested in a CrossFit box or a CrossFit membership or really wanting to change their body and their body response to that, the best thing you can do is explore the programming. You know, like some places are known for having really diligent and exacting programming. So what are we doing every week? What are we doing every month? What are we doing over the course of the year? And what else are we doing um, to support the CrossFit, Mm. right? So the, you know, the flexibility training, the range of motion training. And I, I do think CrossFit and yoga go hand in hand. Because in yoga, you learn so much about breathing and pranayams and bandhas. Those are the locks that you can engage in your body. And at the bottom of a squat, bandhas and breath are like all you really need to get through to the top of the squat. So, um, yeah, no, I think, no, I love CrossFit. Okay, cool, cool.
0: (laughs) It's funny because I hear from folks who talk about you and it's not just as I've met a few people who are in her program Mm -hmm. and like they talk about you with such reverence and you know I went to your class at eight o'clock on a Sunday night when most people are getting up early for work the next day and it's totally packed packed, Yeah, like you have a strong following thank you and so I think for a lot of people you're there like what you just did for Joanna like you're their person right their yogi yeah Uh, was she the one who was most influential for you or is there somebody who who like you still look at like oh this
1: person is what I still aspire to be. Um, you know, that's a great question. So yeah, Johanna is. I've I've come to my place. The the beauty about the Sonic teacher training is that there's a really big um, emphasis on finding your own voice. So I think if you went into a teacher training you would find that teacher that you what's the word connect with mm. and you would just by default, you would just naturally emulate that person the way they cue, the way they play music, the way they, um, they the way they teach to a through line. So Johanna, yes, she was one of those people. I, I think she's like a sequencing goddess in terms of how she sequences. Um, but now, um, I think the most influential teachers, there are, th- there are three or four. My mentor, Chris Temple. Um, so I did my additional 300 hour Whoa. at Sonic recently, and he was my mentor. So and you're 500. So I'm a 500 okay. hour, yeah. And um, Chris is an amazing student and teacher of yoga And he is um, lighthearted and fun in ways that I am not. (laughs) Really? Yes. (laughs) You should take his class. We should go (laughs) together. Um, And he is is the person who taught me about the... I don't know if you remember when you took my class in the restorative section. um, I was inviting students to visualize lines in their body. Yeah, I have that in my notes. (laughs) Yeah. So... Um, He taught me the meridian lines and points and uh, because he is a Thai body work, Thai body massage therapist. So I asked him to be my mentor because I wanted to be stretched as a teacher. And I had so many questions about that part of the body. Um, In terms of the philosophy, another teacher that um, is also part of the sonic program, who I practice with actually the most, is um, Keith Partington. And that is where I learned a lot about Hatha yoga. That, well, that is where I learned Hatha yoga. Mm. Um, and that is why, um, where he is the person who taught us um, of the Avaita Vedanta philosophy. And um, pretty much, if, if it doesn't matter what I'm teaching. If I go into a room and I want to talk about neuroplasticity as the theme, how we speak to our bodies, and um, what we can create in our own bodies for ourselves. If it's not pointing to that philosophy, I won't even bother to teach it.
0: Let's, for you know, there's such a, a wide range of guests on here. Yeah. So, even something basic, like let's define for people just what like hatha and, and vinyasa yeah. even means.
1: So, um, you can think of hatha a couple of ways. Hatha is asana. So back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean thousands and thousands of years ago, classical yoga was meditation. There was no such thing as asana or postures. Asana means pose or seat. Um, That was not a thing. You sat and you meditated and you did that until you reached some enlightened state. And teachers were seeing that their students were not really able to sit with themselves mm. or sit. And so um, there came the eight limbed path um, by Patanjali or Patanjali, you'll hear it sometimes. Um, and he is one of, he's a sage. And then there was this line where Hatha yoga as a practice came out. And Hatha basically um, uses the purification of the body as a way for you to be able to sit with yourself. And through that purification, when you're able to sit and meditate, that kundalini starts to spool and rise up through your central oh. channel. So that's Hatha yoga okay. and Hatha as a practice. So all of the lineages that we know, Ashtanga, Iyengar, the the idea of postures moving into different types of practice, came from the original postures of Hatha. Okay. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Yeah. And then as a practice, if someone says, well, I practice Hatha yoga, they're basically, <laughs> they're basically saying that they're sitting in postures for a really long amount of time, uh. and they're sitting on so much that they're able to pierce through um, what's being held in their psychic body. So for example, we, I just did a Hatha masterclass this past weekend and I had to sit cross-legged. We sat cross-legged for 35 minutes and we weren't allowed to move. And I know that sounds crazy, but it was to illustrate the point that when things get uncomfortable and your body is telling you to move or get away from the uncomfortable, that your mind is, is conditioned, your thoughts keep you to the familiar. Your thoughts tether you to the familiar. And Hatha Yoga teaches us that we can sit and pierce through to the other side of discomfort wow. and explore what's waiting for us on the other side. So what was going through your mind while you were doing that? Um, a lot. First it was, you know, okay, I'm here. I'm breathing. And then probably, that was probably for like the first 20 to 25 minutes. The last 10 to 15 minutes, I think, my legs were really numb and I was crying. Really? My legs were on fire. Yeah, it was really hard that last 10 to 15 minutes. And then my body, so we weren't allowed to um, actively move. So if I was crying and I wanted to wipe away my tear, that was not allowed. If I wanted to shift my seat, that was not allowed. What, but your body will find a way to adjust itself. And even if, let's say, your body kind of makes you move a little, you're still in the pose. And so my legs went from numb to on fire to pins and needles, my left leg and then on well, my left leg. And then I was fine. Then it was like nothing happened. It was as if I just sat down. Wow. My right leg, not so much. My right <laughs> leg was like, girl, we need to move. Uh, and, um, yeah, that was... But yeah, hatha as a practice is known as like the forceful yoga. You're sitting in something, you're allowing it to ebb and flow naturally as you breathe. And there's something on the other side Um so Aveda Vedanta, I'll explain this because then it will make sense. Okay. Um, so it's a philosophy that um, that the universe is inside of all of us and that there's no there's no duality. There's no good or bad. Everything just is. And so that's like, um,
0: I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I've been trying to read all the books yeah. that were recommended to Liz. And uh, I just read the translation that was recommended, I guess, of the Bhagavad Gita. And and that, I mean, it's, he's about to go, Arjuna's about to go to war. Mm -hmm. And it's basically like, well, what happens, happens. It's okay.
1: Yeah. And there's no good or bad Uh um, because it all is the same thing. And if you keep reading the book, when Krishna reveals himself as God.
0: When he's like, like, uh, gosh, how do you even... When he when he reveals his
1: true form? Yes. Yeah. He reveals himself to um, Arjuna and he basically says, I create, uh, everything comes from me, even war. And your job here is to just do your duty. You're not, we're not here to decide what's right or wrong. We're not here to take responsibility or own something or own someone else's thing. Really. So like, if I'm looking at you, I'm seeing myself. Mm. And everything that you bring up in me or everything that's coming to me or to you is a reflection of the relationship you're having with yourself. So when you're in a posture and you're having a hard time with it, there's a point of examination there for you. And that's that therein really lies the practice.
0: I've just, maybe it's a strange connection. I did a float tank once mm-hmm. and... When everything was turned off, right? Like, all your sensory, like, impulses and everything you see. Like, all, it's just you and what's going on in your head in this darkness. And I remember, like, I just kept thinking of, like, insecurities. And I don't even mean, like, physical insecurities. But I started thinking about, like, oh, like, I I kept trying to focus my mind. Yeah. But it kept going to, like, well, what's going on at work the next day? Or this or that. Or it's just, like, whoa, like, that's the traffic in my head. Yeah. That I need to shut off. That's... Uh, a really hard thing to do.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and I don't know that your mind ever shuts off, but it's the awareness, mm. right? Like, okay, right now I'm thinking about work. What does that mean? Yeah. Does it need to happen right now? Right? So the, what I love about this philosophy is, is that it creates unattachment, attachment. Even if you're even if you're thinking about work, you can come back to working towards unattachment.
0: Yeah, and I guess the reason that just triggered in my head was I was thinking when you said like seeing, uh, when I look at USMA, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I work, we were talking about this too before I recorded, like I've always worked with kids. I've always worked in sort of like high, you know, high knees districts and uh, kids that need a lot of love and often the the way that they react to the world or to conflict uh, is because of the way that they've been treated or the way they see themselves. And that's something Is like I was a, quite an angry young person. Mm-hmm. That's something in my increasingly older age, I'm I'm realizing that like I'll catch myself in situations even now where I'm like, oh, like my negative reaction to this is a representation of like I don't like the situation or I'm insecure about the outcome or I'm trying to prevent a negative outcome. Um, so more and more I see like I see me and people who are doing bad things because it's like, oh, OK, like you are uh, you're you're treating the world in the way that you think that you're being treated.
1: Exactly. And because you know that you're able to recognize it in other people.
0: Yeah, exactly. And So it's
1: the same thing. Like if you know how we compare ourselves to others. Oh, I I just met Jane and she's so loving and graceful and. She's so well-spoken and everyone loves her or, you know, the only reason I'm able to see that in someone is because it's already existing inside of me. You can't recognize things you don't know. And then that's it, right? Like the idea is that the postures are always inside of you. You have to choose to unlock it. And how much do you want to unlock it?
0: Wow. You know? It's funny too because you went right to a positive, and I had been saying negative things I identify with people. That's an interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I was writing down here in my notes as you were talking. You said eight-limbed path. Yes, and that makes me think of like the eightfold path. Um, and I wonder if like you know, not not to. I'm not trying to judge people who are like uh, you know. I do yoga once a week on the weekend, but like the level that we're talking about here is something much deeper than yeah. Uh, you know, just. A, once every saturday type of a deal it can can this like can this exist with outside of like um like a buddhist practice or that like deeper philosophical almost religious element to it
1: yeah i think um you're practicing off of your mat you know like Mm. the the yoga you're doing on your mat even if you're doing it once a week is going to give you a little bit more um you'll be a little bit more able to examine and notice without judging what happens off of your mat. And that's really, if you know one thing, that's another beautiful part of hatha yoga. Um, The belief is that you can do everything in one thing. So you can be in chair pose. That is a bad example. But chair pose, because everyone hates chair. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the pose I had y'all in for a really long time. (laughs) Les knows this. It's the one I hate the most. And you were like,
0: we're going to do a lot of chair pose. And I'm like, no.
1: (laughs) That's the, yeah. So, you know, you can be in one pose and do all the things. Mm. And if you were in a half a class, you'd be allowed to stay in the pose as long as you'd like. So it's the same thing. You don't have to know all of yoga. If you knew one thing... You can add an infinite amount of stuff behind it and know all things. You can accomplish everything with one thing. And so there's the eight limbed path and I like to think of it. And I'm not, what what I'm saying is not absolute, oops, absolute truth. But I think as a teacher, and I'm saying this as a teacher, um, I'm just there to meet people where they're at. And to introduce them to the teacher that's inside of them already. And for, and if, if in your lifetime, yoga means a physical practice, a physical workout, going into um, core power or any hot place and getting a sweat, I don't know, then that's your practice. Mm. And maybe the next lifetime, Because time and all these things are illusions. Maybe the next lifetime you have more under your belt and maybe you go beyond the limb of asana. So I don't think it's like a, um, I don't think of the eight-limbed path as before you die, you must do the, before you leave your physical body, you must have gone through the the eight limbs. Okay. And the other thing is, I mean, the eight limbs are, are meant to be, I guess, in a traditional sense, you could say traditionally you'd be going in a direction. But oftentimes you find, especially the deeper you get into the practice, even if it's asana, even if it's the physical practice, you take a week off, you kind of have to start over, right? So it's, you know, sometimes the growth isn't linear. And sometimes you need to go one limb further and take two limbs back. So it's it's not this, um, I it, at least for myself, I don't, Try to, I, I love to honor the tradition, mm. um, but I'm not going to judge myself or beat myself up if I'm not like at samadhi by the time I'm 92, if I make it to 92. Um, yeah, that's and where, I try where, not to judge people or judge myself for the times when I just want to go and move my body. Because even if you're just moving your body, you're mm. moving energy you're moving energy even if you even if that's not your intention it's what's going to happen anyway and the belief is that if one person does yoga all of us get to benefit from it that's how powerful yogis or people who practice yoga um are considered so That's cool. Yeah, just if it, if you're moving prana energy that's all that really matters.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of the Bhagavad Gita again because like In that book, yoga is defined as like the path, right? Yeah. Um, I I have a... All right, this is going to be like a long qualification into this next series of questions that I have for you. So, I mean, people who listen know this about me. Um, We're getting to know each other, but um, maybe in like my early teen years, I started to... I started to read a lot and I was really into sort of like DIY, do-it-yourself punk music, which had a whole community to it. I grew up on Long Island and I would go out to see shows in the city where I was exposed to the community. And within it, you know, people were writing zines and we were teaching each other like politics and all these things that today people use the term woke, right? Like we were talking about, uh, you know, identity and gender and politics and sex and like all these things that we felt like we weren't getting the truth from, uh, you know, in mainstream media. And like I then started to see like, yeah, like The Matrix, that movie is quite an appropriate metaphor because most people are quite complacent to follow the path in life that's dictated to them and that they watch on TV and I say all that to say that I was very fortunate to be exposed to uh, alternatives to the mainstream way of thinking. Um, and as part of that, I became like quite liberal minded and thought uh, a lot about human rights and the way that we should treat people. And when we look at that politically, right? like those those people are on the left, right? They're we label them Democrats. Uh, and as such, we're, also very much um, believers in reason and in science. And we say, how can you be a climate change denier? The science is right there. And that's, yeah. you know, that's something that I say, the science is right there. And and to that point, like I've always said, like I need proof of things, right? Like I I don't know where I am really in terms of religion, but for a long time when I was younger... It was well. There's no there's no proof of God. I don't know, and I say all this like long qualification to say that uh, I've always been open to alternatives, but it's really hard to turn off that programming. So I'm going to ask you some of these things um, about like like I'll start with meridians, right? Because you're talking about meridians. That's not something that comes from Western medicine and Western anatomy and. Uh, like physiology Mm -hmm. Uh, i was researching a bit and i saw that uh there's there's connections to like clusters of nerve endings and things like that in your body but you're not going to go to a doctor most likely here at city md and they're going to be like hey you got to get your meridians in alignment right um so i said to say i'm very interested in it i'd love for you to explain some of these things uh and just like to be like totally transparent maybe sort of vulnerable like some like my first reaction to hearing some of these things, I believe because of my programming is like, ah, oh, really? You know, like I, what is that? Like, is that fantasy? Um, yeah, Oh,
1: hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can relate to, so I grew up very religious. Okay. So I grew up in the Caribbean. Um, on the island of Dominica, not Dominican Republic. Okay. Um and Dominica when I was growing up was almost I want to say maybe like 85% Catholic.
0: Mm.
1: Like my mother was doing novena, I was in church every Sunday. You know, it, we, it was a thing. And it was a warm, loving community. And when I came to the US, when I moved to the US, I started meeting people who weren't Catholic. Who were atheists? Who I couldn't believe. My mind was getting blown every time I turned the corner. And when I discovered yoga, I was in a place of you know I wasn't really going to church. I wasn't really I wasn't really thinking about it. And I was moving more towards spirituality. And New York hardens you. Oh yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so oftentimes I was just you know like. What's going on You get (laughs) tough
0: or you move. Yeah, Yeah.
1: what's going on? And why am I seeing all of these good people that I know and I'd like to think of myself included not getting, while people who aren't as nice, and at that point I was totally judging, continue to receive more and more and more opportunity. And so I was questioning that a lot. And um, when I discovered yoga, I think um, religion and spirituality, not so much spirituality, but religion will give you the why and spirituality and yoga gave me the how, Mm. if that makes sense. And it strengthened my faith and released me from an attachment to what is actually true so that I can be steeped in my faith, and I'm not say I'm not you know, I'm not as devout religious. I mean, I'm not period, I'm not. Um, I would say I'm more spiritual. But what allowed me to lean away from dogma and a reliance on books and um, sacraments and ritual came from exploring yoga, and the more I explored it the more I was able to detach from needing proof or seeing. Mm. Um, And so the meridian lines, how can I describe that? I mean, you did some research on it. The best way I can think of describing the meridian lines are, um, they're like these, it's like a subtle, it's a gateway from your physical body into your subtle or psychic body. And um, yes, it lines up with um, clusters of nerves, your mama points. Um, and it also lines up with the major sipsen, the main ones, line up with um, what, I, what I've been taught are called anatomy trains. So my advanced anatomy was with um, Chris Temple through Tom Myers. And he believes that fascia connects muscles in a series of lines, that run through the front side of your body, the back side, the lateral, and through your spiral line, and um, the meridian lines just so happen, the major ones that I know, line up with those lines, and the nerve clusters there and chakras there also um, can impact your chakras as well as your doshas when we're speaking to Ayurveda. Um, and so that's kind of how I started getting into meridian therapy. And I'm still kind of learning about, about that, um, in terms of, you know, wanting to have proof, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, hmm. why do you want proof?
0: <clears throat> Again, like, I think that. That's my programming that's that's what I learned, you know that's that's something where you know, like I guess I bring up the fact that like of like liberalism and human rights to think like these are good qualities, but to sort of understand that like there might even be some things from that you need to shed um you know uh, yeah I, like and I, and I heard you mention meridian lines in your class mm-hmm. and like sometimes like when I'm in these classes, I get a bit insecure. I'm like, It's like, are other people feeling something I'm not feeling? You know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, right? And so, no. And and that's why I don't don't necessarily try to suggest what someone should be feeling. Mm. I just say, hey, here's this opportunity to explore. Would you like to take the journey? Cool. Here's the journey. Come with me. Come with us and then sit with yourself and notice. And you might find something that you felt three days later. Mm-hmm. You, it might not be anything. And that just means that that is not a key for you. You know, like that's just not your key. Wow. It's funny too, because I think
0: that, uh, again, in the limited amount of yoga I've done, um, I really like did my first class we were in Spain over the summer, and then yeah. when we were in Morocco, like this is before Les was doing her teacher training, like she was just doing little classes for me, and like we were like up on our rooftop in Morocco doing these things. Uh, but the classes I've done i i I've felt a great benefit that I can't even necessarily quite describe, but it's like a calmness um, and I think that that's almost like a, a really like subversive act. It's almost an act of resistance because like we're talking about you can go to a doctor and be prescribed Xanax for your anxiety or there's people who can get into a yoga practice and feel a sense of calm for free. <laughs> like yeah, you pay for a class, but like once once you really know what you're doing, if you want, you can y- do it at home. You can do it at home and it's free and it's mm-hmm. like you know that you know i'm not saying necessarily you could cure cancer with that solely right um but maybe as part of like some sort of raw diet and all that and gerson therapy and all like i'm going off on a crazy tangent but uh it is certainly i have felt benefits where like i could go to a shrink somewhere and say like i i have all this anxiety i have all this anxiety about work and they could prescribe me something which might have very adverse effects to my body and my life or i can do this free uh session here. And like, that to me is a very radical act.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reason why collectively, we we question the benefits of yoga, or we question the benefits of something holistic and natural, because our bodies are so far from natural, that we're physically blocked from even noticing how things make us physically feel. Do mm. You know, you know, it's like I didn't know I was sensitive to gluten because I had so much of it in my body. And it wasn't until I changed my diet and I cleansed myself out that I realized, oh, <laughs> here are some foods I probably should not have been eating these past few years. Mm. You know, it's the same thing. Like you're not going to, you might not notice anything in your body the first few, the first time that you're doing yoga or for the first few months because there's so many things that's blocking you from there's so many things in the way between you and your psychic body and you being able to even notice like what does it mean to notice so um yeah yeah I think that um I mean yeah we could go real crazy with this but
0: when you say psychic body, like it, that's the thing living with inside this like meat body.
1: So your psychic body is, you know, if something happens to you yesterday, someone slapped you across the face. Mm. Who would ever point me in that direction? Okay? <laughs> um, You'd be surprised. <laughs> if someone slapped you in the face and told you, you were the worst person on the planet. And... You never process it. Mm. It stays with you. And it will affect the way you see yourself the next day or the next day after that. It might affect the way you respond to someone a week from now. The parts of you that you haven't resolved. So your capital T, small t, traumas, um, anything from lingering past lives. um, And conditioning. Conditioning. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I've heard of I mean you mentioned crying because of like extreme physical state of sitting in one position for 30 minutes but I've uh, I've heard of people crying just through the practice of yoga. Yeah. Is that what that is sort of that release of that whatever the thing is the trauma the tension the negativity?
1: So when I was crying that was me in pain, yeah, right, right, right. that right. was me facing the difficulty of something and not being able to get away from it. Um, but oftentimes, yeah, when you you'll hear this all the time. Often, when um, people take classes where there's a focus on hip opening, um, it is believed that we hold a lot of our emotions in our hips because emotions mm. are linked towards to to sex, and we have a lot of nerves in our hip complex. Mm. So especially the fronts of the hips your so your hip flexors um and hip creases, right so opening there can create a lot of emotional release for people oh. or bring things up that they thought they had dealt with, and the response and not being able to do something in that moment or the the release is through crying um in men sometimes you'll hear um well, I've seen it. Men um, practicing shoulder opening. So men tend to hold
0: oh, yeah, that makes, their emotions. That makes here. sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, when you see someone that's very tense. Yeah. Yeah. And in general, um, emotional trauma is it, baggage is held in your hips for everyone. Oh. And f- more in shoulders, men more than women. I've heard. But wow. I've seen men be more. Um, I've seen men crying from shoulder opening. Really? hmm Wow. That's
0: cool, too, because I guess that shows, like, a real level of comfortability within a class, like, to be able to, like, yeah, do that almost publicly, right, in front mm-hmm. of folks.
1: Yeah, I mean, so if you think about, like, your shoulders, shoulders into your traps, and even back here at your rhomboids, so there's um, Marma points here. Men, I think, tend to... Men process in their brains. I think I don't know. I'm not a man, but men, you know, like they deal with th- they're mentally processing. Uh-huh. and um these Marma points in particular, and men are held to gender ex- are those like pressure points, like yeah, you could okay. say that, yeah. Um, I think men are held to expectations of being providers mm-hmm. to constantly do do, do, and protect. Women too, but men in a different way. And those pressure points, those expectations, and the way men compartmentalize and process, I think, are held here. We call them the amza, mama point. So right on your traps. And then behind here, your brihati, mama point. And so when you're working through opening space in your upper body, I think the release that you create there For men, it feels a little, a lot more potent than it does for women. Wow. Yeah, that's my take on it. I don't know. No that that makes sense to me.
0: That's cool. All right. So one thing related to all of this, and you mentioned before, and I saw this like when I was uh, looking you up, is the mudras. Mudras, yeah. I've never heard of this. Um, Am I correct in that it's it's essentially uh, like uh hand formations.
1: Yeah, so it's it's that and so it can be so much more. All right, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so this um so you can put your hands in gestures and each of them can mean something or it, it you know, call on to something. Um and in some cases your body goes into a mudra. Oh. And there's a mudra of like So there's the, I remember, you remember I was talking about the chakras Mm. earlier. So there's believed to be one like in your head, but towards the back. Okay. Like towards the base, not the base, but like back here. And um, that mudra is you basically roll your tongue up to hit your soft palate. Okay. And you get that salty...
0: I'm doing it now. Everyone listening should do this right now. (laughs) Wow. Okay.
1: And then, so that's believed to be like nectar that creates immortality. And so in Hatha yoga, it's like one of the purification practices. You eventually, over time, you cut that thread that holds your tongue so that it can keep rolling back and back and back and up. Whoa, like it rips and pulls that chakra over time because your tongue's a muscle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And so. uh, Well, back to hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, and also each of your fingers represents one of the elements. Oh, right. Okay. I did read that. And so depending on what you want to do. So, for example, there's my favorite mudra is Kali Mudra. And it is basically you'll take your palms together Interlace your fingers, wrap your thumbs around each other. you have to wrap your thumbs, mm-hmm. and then release your index fingers out. So this mudra is um, associated with Kali, the goddess. She's a goddess. And um, she's all about like radical change, fierce love, um transformation. She's the you'll see her often depicted as a blue goddess with the eight arms. And she has her tongues like rolling out of her mouth and she's standing on some dead man's body Whoa. or dead serpents, dead um, demon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so right before um, right before I was laid off, when I was practicing at Sonic, my teacher was making us use Kali Mudra. And well, no, he usually makes us use it, it depends on what he's teaching, but we usually use it. And it didn't matter what we were or were not doing. My hands wanted to do it. And then when I was practicing at home, my body was itching to use Kali Mudra. And I was just like slicing through and slicing through and just doing these repetitive, like pulling in and slicing through. So basically when you're using that mudra, you're calling on to the power of the goddess. And if something isn't serving you, She cuts it out of your life. And within like a month of practicing at home like that and going to group classes and just calling on or reminding myself of that power that I had inside of me, I was laid off. Two Uh. days notice and then I kept practicing and then I made the decision to never go back to working for someone ever again in my life. (laughs) I had that in my notes
0: because... um,
1: And talking to Les and then talking to other folks and then
0: in in reading a lot about this in preparation for this, I've seen over and over again that there's folks who have sort of like the before yoga teaching and after. And a lot of people are like, well, wow, Like I went through this experience... And I then reevaluated, like, what am I really working for? Do I really want to do that? Do I really want to be in that type of energy anymore? And like every single time, the people are like, "No!" Like I'm gonna stick with this new path that I'm
1: on. Yeah, and and let me tell you, and you know, and even being a teacher, it's like yoga in itself, and I've had to learn how to manifest things. You know, like, oh, I want a better job. What does that even mean? Mm. You know, I want to fall in love. Okay, well, who are you falling (laughs) in love with? And I talk about this a lot in my classes. Like if you are putting vague things out into the universe, if that's what you're beaming, if you are vague about the things that you value, then the things that come to you will be vague. Mm. They will serve you vaguely. They won't take you anywhere because literally the things that will come to you are reflections of the relationship you're having with yourself. Whoa. Yeah. And I, all those, like you can
0: boil all those down to like everyone wants to be content, right? And secure and happy, like mm-hmm. which are like.
1: But how? Mm, yeah. Where's the clarity?
0: Well, especially in, you know, in... You know,
1: in 2020 in America, in New York City, like how? That is a really good question. Yeah. And that's why I love yoga. You know, the poses will tell you how to be specific. They will teach you how to be specific. You want to get into crow pose, you want to get into handstand, you have to do it every day. You have to do it every day and you have to be specific. Where are your hands going? Are you breathing? Where are you looking? What are your legs doing? What's your belly doing? And if you don't want it badly enough to show up for yourself, then don't bother. Go go do some pose that you really want to do. I like that.
0: It's, it's back to the definition in the Bhagavad Gita of yoga being the path. Yeah. And back to what you said about sort of, you know... The practice is what you want the practice to be. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, like, I like uh, martial arts and mixed martial arts, and there's uh, I've heard this said on other podcasts, but there's, there was a, a fighter named Rashad Evans. He's retired now, but he was a light heavyweight and he became the champion, which is like a major deal. This now means you get paid more as a champion. You get all the accolades and the fame and this and that. And he said like the day after he got the championship belt, he was like, oh, this is it? <laughs> like, like I reached. Like, I you can't go higher than this. Yeah. And I got it. And now, like, what now? So yeah. So sometimes maybe like, the contentness or like the happiness is just like on the path the whole time is the yeah. the striving for something. Is yeah.
1: The, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because we, you know, we, I'm co-leading a, co-leading a teacher training, and I'm leading the Bhagavad Gita. You know, when I read the Bhagavad Gita the first time, I hated it. Mm. I couldn't stand it. And now I'm teaching it. It's so crazy. I've read it so many times. And we were one of the paths, one of the limbs in the eight limbed path, or one of the niyamas is um, contentment. And so. Um, Can you define niyama real quick for folks? Yeah. So in the path, in the eight limbed path, you have your yamas and your niyamas. And the Yamas are, um, they're both like these, uh, they're an ethical code or a guide. And the Yamas are the way that you treat the world around you. And the Yamas are guides for the relationship you're having with yourself. Mm. And one of them is um, in English, contentment. And so we were talking about what does contentment mean? That's cool. And so, you know, well, should we be content or is there something beyond contentment? And so this idea of fulfillment, not stopping at contentment and going towards fulfillment. And so, yeah, we we basically talked about it for a while. And I like to think of contentment as, yeah, like a constant strive, but an unattachment. Mm. So there's like a desire to be happy and a desire to be, I guess, yeah, content, but an unattachment so that even when you get somewhere, you're not really ever arriving. And if you never ever, ever, ever arrive, you can still be happy or you can find joy and fulfillment because you're unattached to the places that you attain to, that you achieve.
0: I feel like, um, I love that. I just, you know, I feel like with, I feel like it's so hard in a competitive, capitalistic, like, Puritan work ethic society Mm -hmm. where, you know, people have this, like, almost like social Darwinism, survival of the fittest. Like, I'm the, I got to get to the top by any means necessary, right? I got to, like, it's... It's yeah, I guess it's all part of the practice and the path is is shedding all that, you know, unconscious sort of training that you've had. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Um there's another book that you mentioned that I read recently. Oh. And I believe it was I was reading I was reading through the notes in, in Les's book. Uh and it takes me back again to like my first reaction with my programming is like, "What?" Uh, and that's the hidden messages in water. Did you?
1: Oh no, I did not. You
0: didn't? Okay. Have you read this?
1: No, I did not. Oh, okay. Tell me about My it. My fault.
0: So somebody recommended it. Um, it's right there on the shelf. But it's a, you know, it's a scientist. It's a doctor. Oh. And he's from Japan. And what he does is, he looks at uh, like water crystals. I guess it's frozen, unless he meant molecules. But I believe it's actually like frozen ice. And they would do or say or show different things to the water. And oh. in doing so, when you look at it under a microscope of these crystals, they form different crystals after that. And so like, you know, probably to 90% of people are going to be like, oh, that's woo-woo, right? Like that's wild. Because obviously he shows how like um, words of gratitude and peace and love showed much more beautiful... Um, and elaborate crystals, whereas things like war and negativity and negative language um, showed like very basic or ugly-looking crystals. And again, like a lot of people, I think, would be like, "Oh, come on, right?" Mm-hmm. But I think like you can almost practice that in your in in your regular life. And I've seen this again. Like I'll I'll use just what I know. Uh, in working with kids and in working with some kids who some people really have struggled with behaviorally um, in that you talk to them in such a way uh, with with gratitude and with love and with kindness and over time you watch them really shift the way that they react to you. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of like, you, it's almost like credibility. Like you almost have like this, this, hmm, how can I say this? You almost like bank these positive experiences with them mm-hmm. to where, like, if they ever do react negatively to you, you could be like, "Whoa, I've never done that to you. I've always reacted to you with gratitude and love and, and positivity." Mm-hmm. And they get it right away, and they're like, "Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. That's fair. I'm not going to do that again." And so, yeah, we're talking about human beings, and not water, but yeah. Uh, it's a strange sort of analogy to say like, yeah, like when I think about how I have practiced that in my life,
1: uh, it has worked out. So, you know, maybe there is something to that. Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah. I, you know, we were, we also talk about like, um, in Ayurveda, um, and in general, you, how you are is how you are. Mm. We get to choose what to do with it, Mm. right? And we have to unattach from the work. Part of the work is unattaching the judgment, right? Like, oh, I'm an angry person or, oh, I'm always sad. Okay, fine. It's not going to change. What are you going to do about it, Mm. right? And that's kind of like for us to create hidden messages in water or in other people, we have to choose Bigger than ourselves, right? And bigger than how we think we are because we can, we, you know, yeah. It's just, and it's, an, it's another lesson. It's like, you know, oh, maybe I'm an angry person, but I was able to speak these loving, kind, mm. gratitude filled words. So maybe I'm not as angry as I think I am. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be able to pick those words out of my head if I couldn't. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I
0: like it too. <laughs> what I'm about to say is about to make me a total hypocrite to what we were just saying. Yeah. Because it's from a place of judgment. <laughs> um, but what do you like what do you think about uh like the consumeristic aspect that we see nowadays with yoga? And I don't like obviously like teachers need to and deserve to be to be paid, um but more so in, like, really, like, I don't know if this is disrespectful to anyone, but, like, a, I don't know much about fashion and stuff like that, but I know that, like, if you want to go buy some yoga tights at Lululemon, it's going to cost you, like, $90. Yeah, whereas let's
1: talk about it. Whereas
0: in some places, you know, you go get them the same things, like, that look cool and feel good and, like, are better or whatever. I don't know, for, like, $20, $30. Um, and the reason I ask that is because from everything I've learned and from, like, things that we're discussing, it seems very... Counter to what the uh, like ideas of yoga are.
1: Yeah, so you know it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, Love Lululemon. Love aloe. I mean, I love love love. You know, I'm a t. I'm a. I literally am a full time teacher, so I choose to invest. Sometimes in those things. Is it better quality? like is yeah, it better? Yeah. Okay. I, I okay. also get a teacher's discount. So Oh, that's sweet. You no, know, that's different. Okay. Okay. Um, when I was not a teacher, was I spending $98 on a right. pair of Lulus? Absolutely not. Um, I don't necessarily worry about what someone's wearing as long as it's appropriate. I don't really care. But um, and so I don't I'm saying that, so I th- hope that. People realize that it doesn't right. matter. Um, I guess more I'm asking
0: because of sort of not to be like, "Hey, you in my class, you're wearing Lululemon," but more so of like the the commercialization, yeah. like modification of it.
1: Yeah. So, and I was gonna say, I was I've been thinking a lot about lately um, what I'm doing as a teacher mm. because. The reality is that the fact that yoga is here in the it's it's appropriated. Yeah, right. It's totally, you know, and it's so what it is now is so far from traditionally what it was. And I don't even know what it was because I wasn't around back then, none of us were. Right. Um we can only go based on the the historical texts and piece together and see what's obviously there and read through the underneath, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate what's happening in terms of the consumerism and not only the consumerism, but with the consumerism comes this, um, projected image of who does yoga and who gets to do yoga. And because of that, it affects how much a studio is going to charge. And what neighborhood that studio is going to be in. And then all of this wonderful ability to find power and go back to yourself, capital S, stays in the hands of certain people and isn't for everyone. And so I've been thinking a lot about, well, what am I really teaching? You know, and how can I. Regardless of who's in the room and what they're wearing, Mm. how can I make sure that when someone takes my class, they know that they're authentic is a loaded word, but they're getting something authentic and traditional. And they're with a a guide who is passionate about the traditional.
0: Mm.
1: And if they want to practice with me, that's where they're going. And so, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. And it's been really, really lately shaping the way I'm sequencing, sequen- sequencing my classes, mm. what I'm talking to, um, what I'm talking about with my students before and after class, really driving home the idea of an at-home practice, right? And, um, and also what I'm teaching in teacher training, you know, like, what am I teaching in teacher training? Because what, you know, in teacher training, you're going to get it from a teacher. You're going to get the knowledge from information from a teacher. And then you're going to translate it for yourself mm. and pass it on to the next group of students who might, may or may not become teachers themselves. And so. Wow, um, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. is. Uh, sorry.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was, when we went to Jewel City, I saw like your, your list of classes and I think it was you, but you have a class for black women. Yes. Is
1: that about like that access that you were talking yes. about? So, um, that came from like a lot of pain. Huh. Um, something specific happened to me in a romantic relationship And it happened because the person I was with didn't think I was good enough because I'm a black woman. In addition to that, I started getting depleted as a teacher. Had nothing to do with the romantic thing. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, I was teaching, 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 which means giving, 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 whether it's a hands-on assist or holding space, like... You're giving and holding space mm. for for people. And oh, if you're not that. careful, not getting if you're not careful about the way you give, you end up depleted. And so I would come into a studio multiple days, multiple times throughout the week, and I would never see anyone who looked like me. Mm. And you know, I'm not teaching from like this manual. I'm teaching from knowledge, which is not the same as information. I am... I, I, I'm talking about a Vedanta philosophy and creating boundaries and whatever I'm talking about from my experience as a black woman. And the people benefiting from it are not black women. Mm. And so I found myself feeling really tense about that and really... Um, not good at the end of my days. Hmm. And so, you know, I really had to sit down and say, you know, well, what am I, you know, it's nice I took a little leap of faith and now I'm a full-time teacher. But what am I, you know, what am I doing with this? If this is the career part, I'm I'm fortunate to make a career out of a passion. And now I need a little passion in that career more. Hmm. And so... Where can I carve out space to share space with women or people like me who look like me, who might be dealing with the same microaggressions, um, the same, um, you know, imposter syndrome. I think we all go through imposter syndrome, but I think, um, black women or people of color experience it differently, um, The way, you know, I can't tell how many times I've gone to the doctor and was shamed for feeling pain. That's a common thing that black women deal with. And so things are held in my body in a different way. And how can I help someone Hmm. who might be feeling that and give them yoga and give them maybe like another guide or another key to go closer to themselves and really step into their, their, who they're supposed to be, supposed to be in quotations. And so I carved out, I, I decided to do yoga, You just soul, yoga for black women. So that's where that came from. Oh. And uh, How long yeah. have you been doing that? Not very long. Okay. It started in August. So hopefully we'll see a year. Oh, that's cool, yeah. This coming summer. And um, so right now we're in two studios. We're at Jewel City. Um, but it started, um, the first class was at 100 Smith in Cobble Hill. Mm. And... I'm rocking with it until the <laughs> until the wheels fall off, until I'm no longer a black woman, which will be <laughs> a long time from now. So, um, yeah.
0: No, that's cool. I think that, you know, likely if someone was to get defensive about that, right? So if there's a white person who's like, um, well, why? Like, I never think about the demographics of the people in the room. It's like, that's exactly it. Yeah. You've never had to. Like that exactly. is that is your privilege. Yeah. Um and I remember like the first time I ever really thought about that because again like I've worked in I've only worked in schools where the entire student population like doesn't look like me and often like the location I'm in now like majority of the staff and administrators I'm I'm an administrator like most of them don't look like me. And so like mm-hmm. that was the like the first time I ever thought of like oh, I've never had to think about that before. Is like, boom, like that. That's the privilege that I've had my whole life. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. Thank you. I admire you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it, I, I want to get to <laughs> back to the Sesame Oil thing. Okay. Yeah. Because there's also a connection to uh, the Bhagavad Gita again, just because I just read it and it's yeah. fresh in my mind. Did it, you finish it or are you still reading it? Uh, no, I finished that translation okay. of, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, it's here somewhere. Is it
1: Stephen Mitchell? Yeah, that's it. Okay, that's a good one.
0: Um, within that, uh, maybe once or twice, but Krishna mentions like food and like moderation of food and like almost saying like don't overeat, like don't have excess really in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just is a connection back to that holistic type of a thing that I think you are likely talking about. But I would love if you could share some practices that you... or not even practices but uh, even if it's products or uh, things you consume or, or you know natural remedies and medicines that you use in your everyday life that you think people could benefit from.
1: Um, so then we're going into Ayurveda. Okay. Yes. So, what is Ayurveda? I guess I'll say what it is. Um, so, it's considered um, the sister science to yoga. So, in one of the philosophy um, texts, the Sutras of Patanjali, it, it pretty much basically alludes to the fact that yoga was designed for healthy people. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> What? <laughs> and so um ayurveda became this supportive science um to bring imbalances back to balance so if that i mean that's the simplest way i can say it i mean and it's comprised of it's very much it looks at um cycles routine mm. it's very routine based and um It takes into account that, like I said earlier, how you are (laughs) is how you are, right? So you're born into um, your physical, you're physically born into what's called your Prakriti. And um, of that Prakriti, you have a constitution. And that constitution consists of doshas. And each dosha is a combination of the elements. Okay. Some people are, all of us have all the doshas. Yes, and and there's... Oh, sorry. Sorry, yes. sorry, sorry. sorry. No, 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 It's okay. So all of us have all the doshas. Some people are dominant in one. Some people are dominant in two. Some people are evenly balanced across all three. And basically your routine, what you do holistically to support yourself, would be dependent on your dosha. Right. Okay. Right? So.
0: I wish Leslie was here because- like I took, we took the test and I forget what I am.
1: Okay, so... All right, anyway. Well, we can, we can... So guess what I brought? No way. Yeah, way. That's awesome. So I guess I'll tell everyone that I'm holding a book. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's a <laughs> uh, good point. Um, By um, Dr. Vasant Lad, And it's called Ayurveda, The Science of Self-Healing. And it's a really great book if you are into... Or trying to get into Ayurveda or if you're a teacher and you're using Ayurveda to support yourself and you're trying to figure out how to use Ayurveda to serve your students. Um, I reference this book all the time. So basically, you would take a quiz. I mean, we could do the quiz together. Do you want to? I mean, Which the is
0: yeah, the one, I I don't know if you know all the nuances of all of them, but the one that was more like stomach... Um, because I have so many stomach problems. So all and I was of us. Like, okay,
1: go ahead. So so there's vata. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're very vata. Okay. Uh, so vata is air and ether. Can you tell just by looking at, or just through interacting? Some, sometimes. Wow. Okay. But that doesn't mean anything. Okay. The really only way to know is to take the test, um, and then there's pitta. Right. So pitta is fire and water. And then there's Kapha, Earth and Water. I feel like I was Vata, dang. All right, I don't, well, don't remember. Maybe you are, and I'm just like not in it. I don't know. Um, so I would say Ayurvedically, what you are, um, what you would do, you have to take a test. Right. You need to know your constitution, and then your routine. Routine is a big part of Ayurveda. And the idea is that the longer you stay out of balance, the harder it is for you to get back into balance. So routine is a big deal. Huh. And so Ayurveda can it can mean um, what you're... It can be everything from what you're eating to the relationships in your life to how you celebrate every year. Your br- I mean, it could, be, it could be anything. It's the moon cycle, the daily cycle, and also the cycle of your life. So when you're born, um, babies have like lots of, well, they're in water.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and so when, when we're born, we are um, kaffik. We're kind of just sitting there. You know, we're active as kids, but we're absorbing everything. So Kafa people are like the the like they're very grounded and steady. They're very loyal. They're just soaking things in like a sponge. um it's that that unctuous, heavy, grounded earth quality. And so Kafik people are like children they not they're not like children, but they need repetitive patterns to learn, okay, and then once they learn something, they most likely won't forget it. but So they're, you know, earth and water. And so they're like the, it's like the energy of lubrication and accumulation. So a kapha person, kapha heavy person is out of balance. You know, you won't necessarily see when they're out of balance because they're accumulating in their homes. They'll stop cleaning. They'll start hoarding. They withdraw. um, They're prone to depression. Um, and so kaphic people, their digestion tends to be slower. They have to, you know, they should be moving. Mm. Like I'm kaphic. I'm Khafa Pitta. Really? I'm Khafa Pitta. And the worst thing I can do is take a nap during the day. Then I could sleep done. anywhere. And yeah. I'm <gasps> like, oh, I'm going to sleep. Bye. <laughs> um, and then you have, um, when you're an adult, you're just doing and you're getting things done. And that's like the fire and water, you're just fiery and you're moving and you're flowing and you're going with the flow. That's your pitta stage. Huh. So your pitta people, they're very sharp. They're the leaders, the organizers. Um, you know, they're the, you know, they get things done, uh-huh. you know. Um, and if you're looking at someone's build, I guess, kop- kapha people are like, they're broad. They're like... Thicker or curvier. um, Pitta people are usually... They have strong muscular bodies. Um, They're very competitive. And they have very strong digestion. So they're known as the energy of... They're they're associated with the energy of transformation. So they're cycling through like they're adult. They're they're doing all the things. And then your Vata people, that's air and ether. So... (laughs) They're associated with the qualities of air. They're never still. They're uh-huh. never still. They're always moving. They have um, you know, and these are generalizations. Yeah. Right. So you know, their build is like they're they're thin, they're fair, um, they're dry, right? They say they'll they'll may have dry skin or very light, light hair, fine hair, pittas too. Um, redheads tend to be associated with pitta, so if someone's a redhead, you can probably, okay, you have high pitta, uh. um, generally speaking. And vatas are the creatives; they're the visionaries; they're they they they're the great seers. Uh. But when they're not balanced, they're air moving all over the damn place. They're super scattered. Um, they'll. Peck at eating. They don't have a a, a steady anything about them. Wow. Um, and so when we get older and we lose bone density and our hair starts to get fair and gray, we're entering our vata stage. So as you get older, your memory starts to go. Like those types of, your eyesight starts to go because vata lives in the eyes and the bones and the ears. Your hearing starts to go. Your hair starts to gray. So even though you might be... Your constitution is your constitution. You're going through the overall cycle of the doshas as you age.
0: So depending on your constitution and the cycle you're in, uh, that might
1: dictate what you need
0: in terms yes. of... Yes. Okay. Right.
1: Yeah. So for example, when I was in my 20s doing yoga, uh-huh. I was doing yoga three times a week and doing my little Olympic weightlifting CrossFit and... That's a lie. That was in my thirties. I was in my, <laughs> my, my CrossFit and, you know, I could just go, 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 go. Now I have to move a little slower. Mm. I have to be more mindful about what I'm trying to read and digest in my brain because I'm just, I don't have the accumulating power that I used to. And so, yeah, it's, and <clears throat> I have to be, be better with my joints now. <clears throat> Cause I'm getting to that age. Well, I'm saying it like I'm sixty. I know I'm not, right now. Like, I'm not. I'm I apologize. Not. That in
0: my head, I'm trying to. Figure, I'm like, how old oh, is Tony? That's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like you know when you used to be, you know. You, oh yeah. You I, you'd be able to go out and drink and do all the things, and now not so much anymore. <laughs> so it's like you you have to honor the changes, um, and then in the seasons you might need different things. Mm. So. I think, so not I think, but like, so the sesame oil, this is where it comes into play. So when it's cold, it's, you know, it's winter and we want to be warm. And so um, Leslie was talking, was referencing Abhyanga massage. And I actually do this once a month. So this is one of the things I do pretty much. I'm copic so I love being warm. I love being... I don't like moving quickly in my yoga practice. I really love not rushing. So I give myself extra time to do everything. I like to move at a steady pace, not necessarily slow, just steady. Um, And so you warm up some sesame oil and like in a little hot, a little cup of hot water. Mm. And then you go um, in each of your limbs I do seven times. So I massage seven strokes going towards my heart. And sometimes I'll say a little mantra like, thank you arm. I love you legs or looking good neck. I don't know. (laughs) know? (laughs) And then you let the abhyanga, you let the oil sit for about 20 minutes. And then you, you soak in the tub and do your, you know, exfoliating or whatever you're doing. Um, Oils are a huge part of my routine. Okay. Yeah. So I need um, oil pulling um, at the same time, every morning um, or every night, whatever works for you. Um, I wash my face with oil. Um, Oh, mm -hmm. like coconut oil? I use jojoba. What's that? Just a jojoba oil. It's from a nut. Okay. And it's like similar to your skin's oil. So for people who have oily skin, cough with people, um, it helps to regulate oil production.
0: Are you mindful in getting like a, like a certain good quality of each oil or? Does yeah. Yeah. Okay. You would
1: want like the best one. Cause yes, you're putting it. Your organic on, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Um, and then, yeah. So, and even, you know, yes, yeah, so it's even like your relationships. So, um, Kappa people are very grounded, for example. Vata people, not so much. They're seeking grounding. So Kappa people, if they're not careful, will attract all the vata people. And I mean, I've seen it time and time again, and I've been on the receiving end of it. And then the next thing you know, that person is drained. Mm. So even just watching who you're channeling your energy to and who and what you're receiving from is even part of Ayurveda. It's holistic in all the ways. And some yoga postures, each of the poses, can pacify each of the doshas. And attention to the meridian lines can satisfy or activate or pacify uh-huh. some of the doshas. Um, yeah, so yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we could be here a really long time talking about it. Um, But it's all about routine. So for example, I guess my routine is I wake up in the morning, I drink water with lemon and I go to the bathroom and I'll do my yoga. I'll do like a little at-home practice and I pick a tarot card Hmm. and I go about my day.
0: What does the tarot card tell you? Or you know how to Whatever. read them?
1: Whatever. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm now like it's, not, it's new. But it's she's part of your routine then. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I go about my day. And that's it. And your routine doesn't have to be something you do every single day. Right? It has to be realistic. So if you're saying, oh, I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning every day and I'm going to wake up at 4 instead and do this hour-long crazy routine, you're going to deplete yourself trying to become balanced. Let me ask you something about that. Yeah, because you
0: used five o'clock for a reason. like before we were recording, I was saying I wake up at five. I was thinking of you. Okay, yeah so then and I fully understand that you say, well, it should be realistic to like you and your situation, but don't you think then maybe that means like, well, maybe your situation should change. If you can't do something as basic as have a full glass of water with lemon and like breathe, and meditate for 5 minutes and use the restroom if like before you have to run out the door then maybe like your the way you've situated your life needs to change.
1: I don't know Tim. This is Are Tim. Are you asking me that? <laughs> This is Tim yelling at Tim right now.
0: Like, uh.
1: Um so you can do a nighttime routine.
0: Oh, you're supposed to tell me to change my life.
1: Oh, you can also change your life. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, you can do um, twice a week. You can do it on the weekends, right? So on the weekend day, you allow yourself to like wake up at a reasonable time and you start your weekend. Or you can say, you know what? When I come home at night, I am going to not look at my phone for two hours.
0: Mm, It's a big one.
1: And I'm going to read a book or I'm going to journal. I like journaling at the end of the day so I can like really reflect versus throughout the day or in the morning. Um, I can journal and I'm going to write, I'm going to journal for 10 minutes and then I'm going to sleep. And maybe part of the routine is this is something I do believe in. I don't do anything in my bed but sleep. I don't read mm. in my bed. I don't watch TV in bed. I don't eat in bed. I don't do anything in bed unless oh, I'm sleeping. Man.
0: I read this book about sleep. What is it called? Uh, keep, go, keep, sorry, sorry.
1: And so whenever Let's I, I sit on my bed, once my, once my body enters my bedroom, I go straight to sleep.
0: Well, how did you, so the, the, the reason I got excited for a second is I read that very thing. Like, how did you come up with that notion
1: Um, what is this book called? Part of it is, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm Kappa Pitta. I can sleep anywhere, you know, I really can. Um, (laughs) but part of it is the more I started doing yoga, the less I wanted to shop. Mm. And buy things. And so my home became very minimal and it started with my bedroom. So in my bedroom, I have my bed and I have an altar. I don't have dressers anymore. If it can't fit in my closet, it doesn't belong. Cool. And so I'm very, um, my, I basically decide what's happening in each room in my home. I'm eating in my kitchen slash dining room. My my living room is a weird, sh- small kind of smorgas room. <laughs> um, my bathroom is for things you do in the bathroom, right. obviously. My hallway is to welcome people in. My bedroom is for sleeping, self-care, and all things love. Mm. And if there... In, Cell phones and books and all those things. I mean, yeah, I'll sit on my bed and maybe like text someone. My alarm, but I don't lay in bed doing anything. Hmm. And so it kind of triggers. As soon as I sit on my bed, it kind of triggers that. Yeah. You're training your body to almost. Sleep. Yeah. yeah, and same thing. Like if let's say, you know, you should be you should be going to the bathroom in the morning. You should be letting things go in the morning. If that's not happening for you, you have to train your body. Mm. So if you are, if your digestion is slow, or I mean, barring, if you have IBS and all these things, go to the doctor. But if you don't, and there's no reason why you're not regular, then you have to train yourself to be regular. Get up in the morning, drink water, and sit on the toilet. And eventually your body is going to realize, okay, this is what we're doing. Or get up in the morning and eat breakfast even if you're not hungry and see how that goes until when you wake up in the morning you want breakfast you have to eat breakfast i mean i mean this is what i think
0: right no right, no like, yeah no this is cool
1: um so part of it is you have to train yourself so that's why for me a nap is dangerous because if i go home and say oh i'm just going to sit on my bed for tw- 20 minutes that could be your me day me sitting yeah. on my bed is my body being told it's time to go to sleep. So yeah, I keep, um, I don't know how I came up with that. It's just, I start. I think I came up with the intention for my rooms when I started saging my home. Hmm. And so when you sage your home, you set an intention for the room. And then I was like, well, why am I setting an intention for the room when the room isn't even set up to have the intention? So if my bedroom is a place of rest, what do I need to do to make it restful? That's cool. Yeah. So that's where that came... That's how I came up with it. But yeah, if you can avoid doing many things in bed, especially if you, um, especially if you are um, someone who has a hard time going to sleep, that might be something that you can do to... Have an easier time going
0: to sleep. That's cool. That that book I was thinking of, I just found it. So that it's called Sleep, Sleep: The Myth of Eight Hours, The Power of Naps, and the New Plan to Recharge Your Body and Mind by Nick Little Littlehales. But he talks about in that book, like no TV in the bedroom, nothing that would distract you from the fact that like you're there to sleep.
1: Yeah.
0: I've got all right. So we're it's it's nine forty. I've got like two more sort of broad <laughs> topics. Are you yeah. are you okay? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, the first one is that. At, I remember at the end of your class, you're like, well, how do you feel? Yes. And I was like, well, I f-, it was Sunday night. I'm like, I feel ready for the work week, Yeah, right? Like super refreshed and recharged. And then the next morning I fell apart. Like I got to work and I was like, all of these like mindful things I'm thinking of and all the peace, it is gone because this high stress situation is right there. Yeah, And I, like, I was just wondering if you had like, how do you maintain that? It's sort of going back to what we were saying before, like sort of like if you're trying to be in a, in a state of like in the here and now and not thinking of anything else, but like those little thoughts come running in and you're like, get out, get out, like push them out of your brain. Like (coughs) how do you maintain, um, that like really positive, peaceful, conscious state? Or is that something that like you, you, you don't ever achieve uh, with like a really high degree of longevity.
1: Um. So we're all human. Yeah. I'm human. Someone bumped me in the train and I was probably like, Ugh. yeah, right. That's that New York thing again. You know, Um. so everything is temporary. Everything is temporary. So mm. when you're at work or when you're in life doing something, and you're finding yourself not present or there's a there's a thought that's inappropriate it's it's temporary and it's i think the answer to that is examining how many times those things are coming up it, uh, it, it mm. does that come up right like okay well work is stressful is it so stressful that you can't digest your food is it so stressful that you have no- <laughs> that you have nothing going on outside of work is it affecting your relationships outside of work is it affecting your relationship with yourself does that matter to you if it does then why are you tethered to it hmm. why are you you know and so there's The chitta vritti, the mind chatter, it's going to happen all the time. And we learn over time how to deal with it. But no matter what the situation is, there's going to be the mind chatter. And it's for us to look at the situation. What are our situations creating for us as humans? Right? like. Okay, well, here's a little bit of mind chatter. Yeah, it just happened. It's gone. I think that person isn't so nice. I don't like her outfit. Why is she looking at me like that? Meanwhile, she's just looking past me to see if her friend walked in behind me, right? But that goes back to our, the relationship with ourself, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think if, you know, no matter, I think in life, in this earthly plane, we're always going to deal with the mind chatter. Mm we get to control the situations that may be affecting or controlling or contributing that mind chatter. It's going to be there all the time. Is the thing that's creating it worth it? And you decide from there, right? If is what you're doing worth the mental, the patterns is the effort, of piercing through to the other side of the, the mind chatter and the stress, is 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 that worth it? Like, mm. what are you getting that's bigger than what's happening in your head? This feels like a personal therapy session. I, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: it's yoga. It's
0: no, yoga. that's amazing. Um, the other thing I was thinking of is, um, is breath work. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of two things. So I'd always heard that like uh, a cancer can't live in a really oxygen-rich environment, so I was like looking that up a little bit, and apparently, like certain types of cancers actually do thrive in like a deoxygenated environment, and so there's at least an idea or some ideas that like creating an oxygen-rich environment will within the body, and I'm not definitely not smart enough to know how you do that. Uh, Is a way to perhaps um, beat cancer, right? But I was also thinking, like, I've said this a bunch of times, and like Les and I have probably discussed this before, but I can think of, like, again, work, well, but like, particularly stressful days at work where I'll get to like two or three o'clock, and you know, I'll sit down, like, and I'm just like, (sighs) and I'll be like, oh my God, like, that's the last time I can remember breathing. Mm-hmm. In a really long time, like when was the last time I like took a breath with intention and and thought and knew that I was breathing?
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And so, like now, I'm starting to learn about these things, like I know how intertwined breath is yeah. into all of this stuff. So, just sort of like wondering about, uh, like, what you can tell us about that.
1: Um. So breathing is important,
0: <laughs> and that's it. No. <laughs>
1: um. So yeah, I think a lot of us. There's different ways to breathe, right? So you can breathe using your belly. Most of us breathe using our nose, and we pull air into our chest.
0: Can we? Uh, I'm gonna pause you for a second. am really sorry. Can we practice that for a second? What do you mean from your belly? Like how to? Does...
1: So if you put your hands on your belly, okay, and you so Everybody do this eyes. at home. Everyone can do it. Whoever's listening, and I'm gonna talk us through three-part breath cool so just rest your hand on your belly you don't have to press into it it's okay. just resting right so as you breathe in instead of pulling air sniffing or actively pulling air in your, using your nose allow your belly to fill into your hands and notice how much more air you can fill with and then when you exhale pull your belly in towards your spine. Whoa. (laughs) Right, and then release your hand and then do that using your nose. So just inhale into your chest. And just hold that and feel, notice. Notice how your shoulders, neck feel. And then exhale from your chest. That's cool. So when you are doing three-part breath, um, you're bringing your inhales and exhales to equal length, and you're breathing first into your belly. Then you're filling your rib cage, and then the breath will rise up to your collarbones. Then you exhale the same way: belly, rib cage will soften, and your collarbones will lower and then you continue to breathe like that and then when you breathe when you when your collarbones lift it lifts your shoulders and your scapula which which creates more space through your rib cage gives you more capacity to fill your lungs and then mm. when you exhale the belly and your clavicles lowering down will help you push out more air so um most of us when we breathe we're not even filling our lungs to capacity. I mean, and that's intentional and we're not even filling our lungs right. to capacity. So imagine just not intentionally breathing, just breathing without thinking or asking, right? So I think when you are, that's a really nice way to to, um, to calm down Mm -hmm. Um, another, um, breath technique you can do is alternate nostril breathing. I can talk you through that if you want. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Cool. So you'll find a comfortable seat and then you'll take your right hand up to your face and then take your peace fingers. So index finger, and middle finger to the center of your forehead and take your right hand, right, I'm sorry, right thumb to your right nostril. And your fourth finger to your left nostril. Okay. So broaden across your collarbones. Let your shoulders remain soft from your ears. Sit tall. And then inhale in through both nostrils. And then gently press your right nostril closed. Exhale through your left. And try to breathe with your belly so quiet as possible. Inhale left nostril. Pressing close gently, exhale through your right. Inhale, right nostril. And then exhale through your left. We'll do two more rounds. Inhale into your left nostril. Exhale through your right. Inhale, right nostril. Exhale through your left. Final round. Inhale through your left nostril. Exhale out through your right. Inhale into your right nostril. Exhale out through your left. Inhale through both nostrils. Hold at the top. Release your right hand down. And exhale.
0: Whoa, I feel lightheaded.
1: Ooh. That's really cool. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is, um, so when you're breathing through, um, that is a prep work for a different pranayama or breathing practice called Nadi shodhana. So you would do that, get familiar with that, like practice it for a long time mm. um, over the course of days, weeks, months. And then you can add in what we call the kumbaka, which is a pause at the top or at the bottom of an inhale or exhale. And then there's a certain ratio of the length of the inhale and the exhale that create the actual proper nadi shodana, Or you can just so in and out. So basically, when you breathe in through your left nostril, you're striking your... Left, um, left channel, your lunar, feminine, moon side, and then when you breathe in and out of your right, that's your solar, masculine, divine.
0: You talked about this in your class. Yeah. yeah. So
1: the those two lines, naughty lines, um, spiral around each other, and create a subtle channel of um, energy called your shishumna. Nadi, and the Kundalini that I was talking about spirals and moves up through that, and that's represented by your bony spine. Whoa. And so when you do alternate nostril breathing, you're evening out the left and the right sides of your body. So just it's a it can bring you lightheadedness, yes, but through beyond that, most people will say it brings them calm. Um, some people I've heard will say that it makes them act like feel active but in a clear way. it's a, It clears your mind. Wow. Yeah. So breathing is a big deal. It's a big deal.
0: Yeah. All right. Listen, we're almost at two hours. <laughs> this has been amazing. Um, if, if people want to check you out, right? So let's say people are in New York want to go to class. Mm-hmm. How do they find you? And then... I don't know if you're on social media or anything like that for people who are not from New York.
1: Yeah. So right now I am um, conquering my fear of being on a website. So as of right now, I'm on Instagram as Yogi Tones. So Y-O-G-I-T-O-N-E-S. And you can find me at Jewel City Yoga BK, um, which is in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. I also teach at Core Power Um, yoga in Williamsburg. I also will be teaching um, at a wonderful new studio in Bushwick called Kala Yoga as of this later this month. And I do an independent group class at 100 Smith Wellness Studio, which is in the Cobble Hill section of Brooklyn. Sometimes I also teach at Sonic Yoga in New York City. Awesome. I'll link to those things
0: um, as always. For everybody who wants to find that stuff, you can find it straight from the show notes. Hey, Tony, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you. you. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. That is a wrap on episode number 144 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Tony for coming on this episode. I had a really cool conversation I'd love to have her back on someday. I think you guys would like that too, right? Thank you to all of you, the Voyagers out there, for tuning in as always and for listening and sharing and all the cool stuff that you do to be a part of this little community. I appreciate each and every one of you. All right, got some cool stuff coming up in the near future. But until that time, folks, please take care of each other. I will see you next time.